Welcome to Room 106. I'm Richard Garlick from Planning Magazine. And I'm John Gagan, also from Planning Magazine. Every fortnight we enter Room 106, the world of pain into which all new planning information is deposited, and extract the key things you need to know. The government has proposed allowing councils to raise their planning application fees by up to 35% this summer, but only if they agree to a wider range of performance metrics. We'll explain what planners need to know. Sir Keir Starmer has said that a Labour government would change the planning system as a first step. We'll explore what's known about Labour's intentions for planning. The Court of Appeal has ruled that local planning authorities may take account of a wide range of factors when considering prior approval applications for upward extensions to properties. We'll look at the implications. And we'll also round up some of the other big news stories of the past fortnight. By the end of the show, you should be more than ready to trade topical planning tidbits around the office water cooler. So, time to face the music. Ready to go in? OK. Well, here we are again in room 106. Yes, and we have some help at hand. Here's our senior reporter, Samantha Eckford, and online editor, Toby Porter. Hello. Hi, everyone. We'll come back to Toby and uh, Sam, but first of all, John, I think you've been looking at an important Court of Appeal ruling. Yes, that's right. The Court of Appeal has ruled that local planning authorities may take account of a wide range of factors, including scale, visual appearance and impact on neighbours' amenity, when considering prior approval applications for upward extensions to properties. The ruling upholds a council's refusal of such a proposal. Okay, so tell us a bit more about the case and the permitted development right it concerned. So the case focused on an application by a developer to build a single-storey upward extension to a detached bungalow in Cheshunt in Hertfordshire. The application was made under Class AA of the General Permitted Development Order, or GPDO as it's known, using the Light Touch prior approval process, which means there's no need for a full planning application. Class AA was introduced in 2020 through an amendment to the GPDO and it allows the enlargement of a single house by the upward addition of up to two storeys or just one storey if it's a single storey building. The GDPO states under the prior approval process, councils must consider, among other things, the impact of proposals on the amenity of adjoining premises. So this application was refused permission by Broxbourne Borough Council And then this decision was backed by a planning inspector after the developer appealed against the refusal. In his decision, the inspector found that the proposal would not harm the amenity of adjoining neighbours through overlooking privacy or loss of light. But he did find that what he called the heightened bulk of the rear elevation of the building would appear over-dominant when viewed from nearby gardens, and the extension would have a what he called a visually jarring impact. So he found that the proposal would have an adverse impact on the amenity of adjoining premises and the external appearance of the dwelling house. Overall, the inspector concluded that the proposal would not be permitted development within Class AA. OK. What did the judges have to say? Well, the High Court rejected CAB's challenge to the inspector's ruling last year Basically, that ruling by Mr Justice Holgate said local authorities could take into account a wide range of factors concerning amenity and visual appearance when considering these kinds of prior approval applications, including the scale of the proposal. And the Court of Appeal has now dismissed 
the developers appeal against that outcome in the High Court. Sir Keith Limblom found no fault in the High Court's interpretation of Class AA. He said that Mr Justice Holgate correctly assessed the extent of local authority powers to consider scale, amenity and the visual appearance of these proposed extensions. In particular, he focused on the word adjoining in the wording of Class AA. He rejected arguments that when it came to assessing harm to amenity, this word adjoining should be given a narrow meaning. He told the court, in modern usage, the meaning of the word adjoining is not restricted to the sense of being contiguous to or touching. It extends the concept of something lying close to something else. Sir Keith also rejected the suggestion that the High Court judge's analysis diminishes the difference between the prior approval process and the process for a grant of planning permission. Okay, so all in all, the Court of Appeal has confirmed a legal judgment that I think at the time was seen as quite empowering for for local authorities in confirming that there were a, a wide range of factors that they could take into consideration and might potentially justify the refusal of one of these prior approval applications. Yes, that's right. And um, he seems to have gone into a lot of detail about the the word adjoining in the uh, GPDO, which no doubt planning lawyers and and council planners will um, will want to read about. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, John. Uh, You're going to be back later with your roundup of some of the other stories in in the week's news. But Sam, you've been looking at the proposal by the government to allow an increase in planning application fees uh, to be charged by by local authorities. So what's the government proposing with regards to allowing councils to increase their planning application fees? Yeah, so the headline news is that they're proposing a significant increase in planning application fees of up to 35%. The plans, which were announced for the first time last summer, were included in a new consultation document published last week called Stronger Performance of Local Planning Authorities Supported Through an Increase in Planning Fees. Okay, and for what types of application will fees be able to rise by up to 35%? So the 35% rise will apply only to major planning applications. That's those above 10 dwellings or 1,000 square metres of non-residential space. Okay, and and what about fees for other types of application? So the government's proposing that all other applications will be subject to a smaller but still significant 25% rise in fees. Fantastic, and when is this due to happen? The consultation document says that, subject to consultation and parliamentary approval, the changes could be introduced as early as this summer. Okay, well, we have the usual reservation about what summer means in government terms. (laughs) We'd be end of September, isn't it, or something like that. But but let's see. So in terms of just examples of how fees would rise, can can you give me a couple of examples? Yeah, so the proposed fee increases would mean that fees for prior approval applications would rise from £96 to £120, while household applications will be charged at £258 up from £206. At the other end of the spectrum, the 35% rise proposed for major applications would mean that the maximum fee payable on plans for over 50 dwellings would rise from £300,000 to £405,000. Wow, OK, that's significant. So once that happens, presuming this consultation is goes forward as is suggested, would fees then be frozen at that level for the foreseeable future? The consultation document says not, so it includes an indexation proposal for fees to be adjusted annually in line with inflation. So this will be brought forward via new legislation, and the document also proposes that a further review of fee levels will take place no later than three years following implementation. So what's prompted the government to suggest this increase in fees? 
The consultation document states that before fees were last increased in 2018, there had been no change since 2012. It also identifies an annual 225 million funding shortfall within the planning application service and says that this is an issue that needs to be addressed in order to maximise the benefits of plan changes in the levelling up and regeneration bill. And what do we know about views in the sector about how this will go down in the sector, this proposed rise? According to our annual consultancy survey from last year, 57% of consultants said that local authorities should be able to increase planning application fees compared to 45% in the previous year. I think that just shows how widely recognised the need for more revenue for local authority planning departments is when when consultants, are the majority of them, support it. That said, I think we have seen a couple of things this week about um, concerns from um, representatives of small house builders that they don't want to see this increase to happen and they're sceptical about whether it'll do any good. But there does seem to be a very widespread support for it. If fees are increased this summer, presumably there's a danger that councils would spend the money on something other than planning and planning teams wouldn't benefit. Potentially, although the consultation document also asks for views on a proposal to ring-fence any additional fee income arising from the proposed fee increase for spending specifically within local authority planning teams. Just worth mentioning that the document also asks for views on the proposal to double the fee for retrospective applications, which would apply to all applications except those for householder development. Now, at the same time as they did this, they also said that they're proposing an, an increase in application fees, but at the same time, they want councils to accept a wider range of performance targets for planning departments. Is that right? It is. So the document states that the government is only prepared to introduce fee increases if planning performance also improves. So it therefore proposes the introduction of what it describes as a broadened planning performance framework. As things stand, authorities are assessed on the speed and the quality of their decision making but it proposes a new wider range of targets that authorities would have to meet. So tell us about these targets. Perhaps the most eye-catching new metric is the proposal for authorities to be assessed on the percentage of committee decisions to refuse permission against the advice of officers that are subsequently allowed to appeal. The government's also proposing a new customer experience metric, which would aim to provide a more holistic picture of local planning authorities' performance and would aim to capture the satisfaction of recent users of an authority's planning service. Okay, so that would be quite a big change, the idea of a sort of um, customer satisfaction measure for local authorities. It raises all sorts of interesting questions about who is the customer of the planning service. Is it the developer who puts in the application or is it the local community that the local authority officers and councillors uh, serve? It would be very interesting to have a metric that specifically looked at councils that overturn officer recommendations to refuse schemes. I think that would uh, that would prompt a lot of interest. Hmm. What else are they proposing to look at? So there's a range of new metrics that includes the average time taken to validate applications, the number of extension of time agreements, the average number of weeks taken to respond to suspected planning breaches, the proportion of open planning enforcement cases that are over six months old, and also the percentage of decisions that are made via committee or delegated to officers. There's also some proposed changes to the existing metrics, those for speed and quality of decision making, which would mean that authorities' speed of decision-making would be assessed on the percentage of applications that are determined within the statutory determination period, not an agreed extension of time. The document also proposes that different application types should be assessed separately. Okay, well, I guess that will take a bit of digging into to understand what that all means, but I guess the part of that is about this concern that people have that quite often an authority 
in order to meet its targets will suggest that applicants take advantage of you know special agreements where they maybe pay for a special planning service which which leads to the application being taken out of the usual measurement system. Fantastic. Thanks very much for that, Sam. I'll leave you in room 106, continuing to sift through these documents and look forward to seeing you back here sometime soon. Yeah, see you soon. Okay. well, the other major bit of news this week is that Keir Starmer has been talking about planning and just giving more hints about what a Labour government would do. Our online editor, Toby Porter, has been looking at that. Toby, what is Starmer saying about planning? So at a speech in the city, he talked about Labour's five missions if it came into power and uh, planning figured quite highly in them. The five missions being sustainable growth, clean energy superpower, turning the UK into one, an NHS fit for the future, safe streets and building opportunity. So part of that was building more homes, encouraging wind farms and laboratories to, in his words, create more wealth. He sees planning and house building as the building blocks to growth and therefore very important. In his speech he said he wants to make it easier to build homes and infrastructure and that was critical to fulfilling the five missions for government including having the highest growth of the G7 nations by the end of the first term in government. Okay and what about energy? What about solar, wind and wave power? Well, he specifically said that was one of those points that he wants to turn the UK into a clean energy superpower by decarbonising the electricity grid by 2030. And already in November, he committed to tackling the planning barriers to onshore and offshore wind. And that's a popular policy. Polls have consistently showed in the last six months that even the government's own backers, Conservative voters, a majority of them back onshore wind power, even close to home. Okay, and he's been quite critical, hasn't he, of of planning policy on onshore wind. And as he describes it, if one or a number of people object, then the whole system, he says, is, is focused on them rather than the vast majority who want to move forward. He's hinting that Labour would change the system to make it harder for people to stop onshore wind. But uh, yes, we'll await the detail on that. What's Labour said about house building? Well, Starmer hasn't said a huge amount, so I'm going over to the Lords where they have been going through the levelling up bill line by line. Labour's particularly anxious about national development management policies and MDPs in case they overrule local plans. Labour peers have promised to amend the government's levelling up bill to make sure that proposed nationally set development management policies do not override local voices. Okay, and these are the um, policies that were proposed, I think, as part of the levelling up and regeneration bill. The idea is, is that you, rather than each local authority writing policies about different kinds of development, various kinds of development that occur all over the country, you create national policies, which then allow you to have much slimmed down local plans. Correct. Yeah, okay, okay. But Starmer himself, he has spoken about house building in the relatively recent past at the party conference, for instance. Yes. So at the party conference in September, uh, he said he wants to reform planning so that speculators can't stop communities getting shovels in the ground. And he wants to give councils house building powers if he's voted into office. Starmer said specifically in his keynote speech he wanted to increase the number of homes being built 
and local councils will be given new powers to designate sites for large-scale development. Starmer did tell the conference that he wants to get 1.5 million more people on the housing ladder. Going on to Lisa Nandy, who's the shadow levelling up secretary, she said Labour will restore social housing as the second biggest tenure in the UK. And she said that the party's new mantra would be council housing, council housing, council housing. One or two interesting things there, I, I guess, is not absolutely clear what he means by reforming planning so speculators can't stop communities getting shovels in the ground. But the talk of sort of allowing councils to be given new powers to designate sites for large-scale development, it sounds like he's talking about ways of capturing the um, increase in the value of the land which is created by planning permission to capture that increase in value for the public purse so that it can then fund social house building as opposed to um, those rises being captured by private developers. But he's obviously left himself plenty of wiggle room with some of those statements. Thank you very much for that, Toby, and see you in Room 106 again soon. Thank you. Now to find John again, so he can round up his key news stories of the week and also uh, remind us of any quirky stories that have popped up in planning in the last seven days. So first, we have a council suspending external contact with its planning team for a week so it can deal with a backlog of planning applications and appearing to blame the build-up on a recent reliance on agency staff. Tandridge District Council in Surrey posted a statement on its website announcing a temporary change to our planning service between February 17th and 3rd of March, during which the planning team will not be responding to emails or phone calls while it reduces the backlog of planning applications. Next, we have a group of 11 local planning authorities that have written to the Secretary of State for levelling up to express their significant concern about the proposed transition to the new local plan system which is being brought forward by the levelling up and regeneration bill. They argue that the plans will penalise high performing authorities with up-to-date plans in place. And finally we've got more local plan delays. A council in the southwest of England has announced a year-long delay to the production of its local plan while another authority in the east of England has said it would be premature to conclude a review of its plan until there is more clarity on the scope of proposed changes to national planning policy. Okay, John, and any more sort of quirky stories that have popped up in the uh, last couple of weeks? Yes, Jeremy Clarkson has been in the planning news again. It's been revealed that a petition has amassed more than 148,000 signatures in support of the TV presenter's fight against planning decisions made by his local council. The petition is rallying support against the what it calls the planning injustice that Clarkson has suffered at the hands of West Oxfordshire District Council for the controversial proposals for development at his Oxfordshire farm. Okay, well, it's a constant source of uh, interest to our readers, this dispute between Jeremy Clarkson and his, his local authority. Whatever you think about Jeremy Clarkson, I guess it shows that the TV series is giving a lot of people a bad impression of the planning system. So, um, on one hand, it's a sort of lighter story in a lot of the papers, but actually it might be quite a serious story for the um, for the planning system. So no doubt we're going to be looking at that more in coming weeks. Yes, absolutely. Thanks very much, John. And of course, listeners can read more on all of these stories at planningresource.co.uk. 
Well, I think our work is done. Let's get out before there are any more announcements or decisions. Great, that's another fortnight summarised. Yes, we'll be back with a bonus edition next week when we take a deep dive into the pros and cons of council planning officers working from home, as well as the results of our latest research into local authorities' housing land supply positions. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts. And to get a daily bulletin of planning news, plus weekly analysis and specialist bulletins, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. Our thanks to producers Hannah Holt from Haymarket Business Media and Daisy Chaku from Rethink, and thanks for listening. Goodbye.